Well, as you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to 1 Peter. Back to 1 Peter chapter 5, where we will once again look at verses 6 through 11. There is just so much here that I wanted us to take another look at it, especially as once again within God's providence, we are looking at this material on the last Lord's Day of 2020. Not just the last Lord's Day of a year, but the last Lord's Day of this year, the last Lord's Day of 2020, where uh, it is natural for us to reflect upon uh, the events of this past year. It's natural to reflect upon uh, ourselves, our families, our church, and it's natural to be thinking about this new year, 2021. It's natural to be thinking in terms of well, the, the uh, new year is starting, and, and people sometimes start thinking about, okay, what am I going to do new this year, or what am I going to try to do new again this year? <laughs> Maybe this is the year that the new actually sticks, you know. Um, <clears throat> however you, you know, whatever you do, however you do it, it's natural. And this text is such a beautiful text uh, to help us reflect upon ourselves at the end of a year, especially a year like 2020, and to prepare ourselves for a new year, um, especially a year like 2021. There's a lot of people who are hoping that the coronavirus figures out that the calendar is changing. And that things will be different because it's a new calendar year. Um, and it can be very easy for all of us to, to let that kind of play with our, with our thinking and with our hopes and with our desires. But there is something greater here for us um, as we, as we do plan and anticipate this coming year. So let's give our reverent attention to God's word this morning. Um, I'm going to begin by first reading from Genesis 4, and then I'm going to sw switch over and read our text from 1 Peter 5. I just want you to listen to the Genesis 4. Just take it in. Now Adam, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. 
Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, if you would, over to our text. In 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, Strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help, for your grace this morning to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. So that we indeed may find ourselves once again hidden in Christ and therefore discipline ourselves to be watchful over our own hearts so that we may indeed resist the devil and live for your glory and for your dominion. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, in the 17th century, an English Puritan by the name of William Gurnall wrote a very, very long work on spiritual warfare called The Christian in Complete Armor. It was a work that was uh, an exposition, uh, at least he thought it was, an exposition of Ephesians 6, uh, that famous passage that many of us tend to think about when we think about spiritual warfare. And it is a very lengthy uh, exposition, but it is filled with all kind of great little nuggets of truth. And in this work, he says the following Humble yourselves, therefore. Oh, sorry, reading from the wrong part of the notes. He says this, and then remember, he's writing in the 17th century, the 1600s. If men hear a noise at night, they cry, The devil, the devil. And they run for their life. But they carry the devil around in their very hearts all day. For if you have a proud spirit, or if you have resentment, 
or if you have anxiety, you are under his power. He is setting you in a precarious place. My friends, why don't you run from your pride, crying, the devil, the devil? Why don't you run from your resentments and your grudges, yelling, the devil, the devil? Even right now, the distraction of a red car, right? One of the things that he is pointing out here is something that the scripture points out to us over and over and over again, right from the very beginning as we see it in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. Now, I always refer to Genesis 3. So I decided, hey, we'll, we'll swap it up, and we'll go to Genesis 4. But the reality of the biblical worldview, as the Bible unfolds itself to us, is this. In our fallen estate, even as we are seeking to follow the Lord, in a fallen world, as fallen creatures, we do so in the midst of this warfare with someone who is shown to be a personal entity that is at work within this world seeking to destroy and to counterfeit God's kingdom. Sometime back, as we have had this idea of spiritual warfare come up multiple times here in 1 Peter, I, I quoted from C.S. Lewis, who in his introduction uh, to, to his book, The Screwtape Letters, which, by the way, if you haven't read Screwtape Letters, you need to read The Screwtape Letters. In fact, if you haven't read them and you want to read them, I will read them with you. And we can have fun, to, well, not fun, we can have humbling discussions. Because one of the things that Lewis has picked up on that he then portrays through this storytelling of an older, more experienced devil or demon who is trying to, for lack of a better word, mentor or disciple his younger nephew into the ways of how to be a good demon and how to become really good at, at wreaking havoc within a person's life and within the world. And he tells, and it's really, it reads these letters where an older is writing to a younger, giving him wisdom. But in the introduction, I already quoted from him saying that one of the biggest problems that modern man has with regards to spiritual warfare uh, or with regards to the idea of demons is that we are tempted to either focus too much on them or we are tempted to not focus on them at all. Now, what I didn't quote before was what he calls these two options. The one, error of focusing too much on demons, he refers to as that error of seeing Satan as the magician that Satan can pop up, right? He's behind every bush, 
and that he can work miracles like Jesus, that he has all kinds of powers that can rival God, and that you see him as a magician, or the other error, the opposite error, the error of not thinking enough about the reality of spiritual warfare, and he calls that the materialist. The person who only sees what is right in front of him or right in front of her and forgets that there's all kinds of things going on in the spiritual dimension around us, the magician and the materialist. We obviously want to avoid these two different extremes. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we take spiritual warfare seriously? but take it seriously as the Bible presents it to us and not on the basis of what some movies from the 70s might push on us or some fictional books from the 80s. A guy named Frank Peretti, not wanting to get too personal, right? And too specific. But within these extremes, how do we approach spiritual warfare the right way, especially as we are pondering the end of what, for many of us, would, we would probably describe as the weirdest, strangest, most difficult year of our lives. And as we are looking forward to 2021 with an earthly perspective of, well, surely it'll be better now that it's becoming a new year. And what the Bible wants us to see is not just that there is this reality of spiritual warfare, and to see not that, that there is this personal dimension where there is a figure in the Bible called the Satan. Throughout the Old Testament in the Hebrew, he is always Hasatan, the Satan. That there is this individual created being and that there are a number of other individual, personal, created beings who are serving him in his counterfeit kingdom, who are at work sowing darkness and chaos and destruction. And what is the teaching that Scripture gives us, especially here in Genesis 4, and in 1 Peter 5 is this. We have to understand that though there are these personal spiritual beings and that they are at work and doing all this stuff, our interaction with them is not passive, meaning they don't just come upon us and we're left helpless. Oh, the devil made me do it. What the scripture is revealing to us is this. The power and the influence that the dark ones have within our lives are always connected to the darkness that is still within our own hearts. Here in First Peter, so in, in Genesis 4, notice what is happening. That as Cain is struggling with God's lordship, right? 
Cain is supposed to bring an offering to the Lord. He is supposed to bring the best. Now, there's a lot of disagreement over is he supposed to bring something of the flesh that has blood or is he allowed to bring uh, the, the produce, right? And the Old Testament obviously answers this problem for us, right? Because in the Old Testament, God only wants animal sacrifice. He never says, bring me produce. Oh, wait, no, he does, doesn't he? It doesn't really answer the question. Is it about that one had blood and one didn't? The key of the text is that whatever is going on there, Cain doesn't bring what he is supposed to, and he gets called on it. God doesn't just say, well, you know, whatever you're willing to bring me, I'll accept. God exercises his lordship as creator and as lord and tells Cain, you didn't bring the right thing. And Cain's response is what? It is dejection. His face goes down. And as his face goes down, his emotions rise up. What is happening? Cain's heart is being exposed. And the heart of Cain that is being exposed is a heart in which he does not want to live according to the lordship of God. He wants to live as his own lord. Now that rings a bell, right? That is why I am always constantly going back to Genesis 3. Because we see this in his mother, and we see this in his father. And the point of Genesis 4 is to help us to see that what you see in our first parents is a problem that's going to continue to exist in all of their progeny. That in the fallen state, we want to be God. We want to be Lord. We want to establish what is right and what is wrong, even when it comes to our devotional lives in trying to follow God, we want to establish what it should look like. Here's what my discipleship should look like. If I really love the Lord, then the Lord should be happy with me if I, and then you fill in the blank. And I'm going to tell you what you do, because you do what I do. And that is, I go through myself and I say, what are the things that I'm good at? Okay, well, this, 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 this. Well, so these are obviously the, thing, the things that, that, that are important to the Lord. What are the things that I'm not good at? Oh, well, that list is a lot longer. This, 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 right? But since I'm not good at these, these are obviously the things that God's not all that concerned about. You see how that works? We want to be our own Lord's even in our own discipleship. And we decide, therefore, what should be important to God, and then we live according to that. And the things that we don't think should be important to God, we don't call sins. We call them mistakes. Or we call them character flaws. Right? Or we call them personality problems. Oh, well, that's, that's just an issue with my personality. No, it's sin. And I know it's sin because I sin that way. We want to be our own lords. We want to establish what God should consider important. 
the things that we think he should consider important are the things that we're good at, the things that we don't struggle with. And the things that we do struggle with, we decide, well, he shouldn't care that much about those things. Or we do the opposite. And what we do is this. Those things that we're not good at, we decide that those things should be more important to God than Christ. Both of these are pride. What does this look like? Well, in my counseling, it looks like this. Someone comes in to me, says, I'm struggling with something. The struggle is always something outside of them. It's never something that's in their own hearts. It's always out there, and it's always something happening to them. And the response is, well, I've tried to deal with this, and it's not working out, and so I'm trying to figure out what's wrong. And what will happen is I will help them to see the sin in their life that is creating the problem, and the response typically is one of two things. Now look, every now and then, someone will be like, oh my gosh, I really am sinning like that. Well, how do I find myself hidden in Christ to respond to this better? Every now and then that happens, but not very often, uh, including my conversations with myself, okay? But here's what will happen. I, you typically get one of two responses. One response is, well, okay, this is sin in your life. Well, that's not sin. That's not sin. I'm not that bad. Or God's not that mad. The issue is not sin. No, come on. It's got to be like a character flaw. It's got to be someone else doing something to me. It can't be that when someone else does something to me that my heart responds in sin to that thing. So one of the responses is this. It's not sin. I'm not that bad. The other response is this. Oh my gosh, you're right, it is sin, and I'm the worst person to ever live in the history of the world, and God should hate me. My sin is too much for God. Now, yes, as a Christian, I believe Jesus, uh, his righteousness, it forgives me, but not to the degree that God is ever happy with me. I will live in a consistent debtor's ethic to God to prove to him that he hasn't wasted his grace on me. I will really white-knuckle this thing to prove to him that I'm not worthy. Now, do you see how both of these are pride? I'm either not that bad or I am too bad. I'm not that bad means I don't need Christ as much as you think I need Christ. I'm too bad. Christ is not enough. People have attributed this to C.S. Lewis. I'm not sure if he really said it, but I'm going to say it's from Lewis because I've been saying it for years. Lewis said one of the things that we have to learn and understand about pride is that pride is not 
thinking, or I'm sorry, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It is thinking of ourselves less. Pride can definitely be the inflated ego that expresses itself in, I'm pretty good in and of myself. I'm not as bad as you think I am or as even what God may think I am. But pride is also the inflated ego that says, I am so horrible that I am beyond help. Both of those are pride. And Peter tells us that both of those, as pride, are things that God opposes and then says, watch out, because the devil is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What did Yahweh say to Cain in Genesis 4? when his countenance dropped and his emotions rose up and he was in opposition to the Lord because of his pride in that moment. Do you remember what the Lord said? Watch out. What? Sin is crouching at your door. Do you see the imagery there? It is the imagery of a cat that is on the prowl, that is ready to pounce on its prey. What does Peter say? Watch out. The devil is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. God tells us from the very beginning of creation, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, that the conditions of our hearts provide a platform or what Paul calls a foothold for the devil in our lives. And so as Gurnall says, rather than thinking that something that is happening outside of us or something that is happening to us is a devil that we should run from, why don't we see the sins of our hearts as the foothold by which the devil comes in and plays and devours us, preys upon and devours us. Because that is what the Bible is saying. That is what Peter is saying here at the end of a letter where he has told people, you are suffering and you are struggling and a lot of it is unjust. But here is what the Lord is doing. He is perfecting you, and he is using you to display the superiority of his worth and value to the world that has decided to value created things over the creator. And it is hard, and it is difficult, and yes, it is happening to you, and a lot of it is completely wrong, but that doesn't mean that you get to respond to this in any way that you want. It especially doesn't mean that you get to live in anxiety. Notice the way what Peter does 
is as he connects this sin of the heart with a foothold for the devil, the sin, the first sin that he specifically names is the sin of anxiety. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. Notice he doesn't say, don't be anxious. Because look, life in this world, life in a fallen world, life where we do have attacks coming upon us from the world, the flesh, and the devil, is a difficult, trying life. And it's going to bring with it emotional responses, especially emotional responses of fear, and anxiety because we feel out of control. And that's we feel out of control because we are out of control. And yet, that is what God wants us to experience is an acute awareness of being outside of control so that we look to the one who is. Anxiety is not just a byproduct of life in a difficult world. It's not just a response to things that are happening to you. It's not just a character flaw. It is sin. And it is a sin where you open yourself up to the influence of demonic forces that will lead you to make the situation worse as you try to rely upon yourself in those moments. Or when you decide that you are just so horrible that God does not and should not want to have anything to do with you in that moment. See, that's the way pride and anxiety and the devil work together in our lives to make these tests that have the purpose of purifying us, making them worse than what God has designed. And it's because we don't respond to the test according to what God wants, which is us to entrust ourselves to him. And instead, we will entrust ourselves to ourselves. We will entrust ourselves to our own interpretive skills. I can obviously see what's going on around me. I know exactly what is happening. And so therefore, since I know this, here is how I should respond. See, that's pride. Humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God would say this. You know what? I think I know, but I might not. And so what has God said about me in this moment? What has God said about this moment? Has God revealed himself in such a way that fits what is happening right now so that I should rely upon his interpretive skills instead of relying on my own? It means that you realize that your opinions are flawed. Your opinions about yourself. Your opinions about others. Your opinions about the world. 
your opinions about the church, your opinions about everything and anything, but especially your opinions about your hearts are so often flawed and incomplete, which is why we have counselors. It's why I have a job. Thank you for being broken. No, I'm joking. But that's what's going on. And our pride will, will convince us that, no, I do understand. I do have it figured out. Here is what must happen. And then, if what we think should happen is not happening, we will do something. We'll take action. Sarah had somewhat come to believe that she was supposed to have a baby. In old age, it wasn't happening with Abraham, so maybe Abraham should take her handmaid. See how that works. I'm following God. I'm revealing my faith and my trust in what God has said. Now, his timing isn't working out to what I think it should be, so maybe I need to take things into my own hands to bring this thing about. And we do this, and we do this, and we do this. And if there is any time in which we do this, it is especially when we are feeling anxious. And so he tells us to watch out for the sin of anxiety because it is a way in which we voluntarily open up a foothold or a doorway to the devil in our lives. Watch out for anxiety and watch out, he says, for cowardice. Notice what he says here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober, mindful, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Cowardice will lead us when we are experiencing the things that Peter talks about. Cowardice will lead us to pull ourselves out of a situation to try to avoid things. It will lead us to second-guess things. It will lead us to second-guess God's goodness and his grace in our life. If I'm really following Jesus, my life shouldn't look this terrible. My life shouldn't be so much a struggle. And so what I need to do is just withdraw. Life in the church should not be this difficult, so if it is, I'm going to go to a new church. I don't feel like I'm getting fed the way I think I should be getting fed. And so, therefore, I'm going to go down to another church. And what I'll do is I'll shop around until I find the church that meets my felt needs. And I will make all of this okay by making this about my discipleship. Because certainly, the scripture says nothing about me making the mistake of taking my own discipleship into my own hands and trying to do something in my life at a, in a time and in a way that's different than what God has planned. Surely that's not really something that I have to watch out for. 
We become fearful because things aren't going the way we think. Something's not happening that we want to happen, and therefore we pull out. Revelation 21 is a very interesting text. As verse 7 says, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Now, we're pretty good with that list, right? The faithless, the detestable, ugh, detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. Well, you know, what's interesting is I left the very first one off the list, and the very first one that is listed there is for the cowardly. Cowardice is not just simply a weakness of character. It is a sin that is so horrific to the Lord that it is listed in this same list as faithless, detestable, murderers, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. And that is because God has made it so clear to us throughout the scripture that he is with us. And this Advent season, we have been reminded that he is so with us that he has taken on flesh. And Jesus, in dying in that flesh, was also raised to a new body. And Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, will continue to have flesh throughout eternity. This is how much God wants us to trust him and to boldly in, in receive him is there is no greater sign that he could give that from eternity past he dwelt as a spirit, but for eternity future, the second person of the Trinity will be spirit and body. That is how closely God has connected himself to us. And so cowardice and anxiety are two very key heart sin struggles that open you and open me up to the influence of demonic forces. And what Peter says is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and then closes with this doxology of who this God is. He is the God to whom belongs dominion forever and forever and forever. This word dominion means power. It means might. It means the ability to achieve his purposes without being thwarted. It means he gets what he wants 
no matter what attempts to stand in his way. And what anxiety and what cowardice, what, what they are, they are expressions in which we think and then act as if there is something that has greater might or power than God. That is why they are so dangerous. Because you will either fear the one who has control and power and might over everything, or you will fear something that can only experience destruction under the power of the one who wields it. Those are your two options. You can either fear yourself, you can fear something going on around you, or you can fear God. And what Peter does here, as he is bringing this letter to a conclusion, is he is showing us that the Christian life, the humble Christian life, is a doxological life where the entirety of our existence from one moment to the next is supposed to be shaped and formed by instilling and cultivating that sense of God's lordship, his dominion, and his power over against what we see, feel, hear, touch, and taste on a daily basis. What is bringing us hope for the changing of the calendar from 2020, which, yes, has been a stinky year, to 2021, is the fact that the same Lord who ordained 2020 and who has watched over us in 2020, who has used 2020 to reveal to us those areas of anxiety and cowardice that we struggle with so that we'll turn to him, that same Lord is the one who has already designed 2021 and who has designed some new tests for you in order to continue to reveal the different ways in which you sin through anxiety and cowardice so that you will constantly throw yourself back on Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, one of the greatest dangers that God says faces his people when they come into the promised land is blessing. And so he tells them over and over, when you experience my blessing, don't forget me. And beloved, you and I are tempted day after day, moment after moment, to forget him. And so the Lord brings this stuff to us, not to scare us and not to make us shake in our boots, but to help us get our focus off of these menial created things that are passing away that we think are so important and putting them back on the eternal one who has ordained everything for your benefit and is using everything in your life to make you ready to live in the fullness of his power and glory forevermore.
That's what 2020 was about. And that's what 2021 will be about. And that's what 2022 will be about. And that's what every year until the Lord returns will be about. And then that's what eternity will be about. God glorifying himself by saving you and remaking you in the image of his son so that you can perfectly reflect his glory forevermore. We don't have to wait for eternity to begin to reflect that glory. Beloved, everything in 2020 has been for that purpose. How have you done? Now, be careful. Because the point of the question is not for you to say, eh, pretty good. I didn't need Jesus that much, as much as I thought I might. And the point is not for you to say, oh, I'm horrible. I'm the worst person ever. The point is for you and asking that question to ask it as one who is in Christ and therefore able to say, you know what? What I've learned this year is that I really didn't know as much as I thought. And what I learned this year is that even though I continue to make mistakes, God's purposes for me have been perfectly worked out according to what he has wanted for me. And so, therefore, Lord, help my heart to want what you have wanted so that I do not open myself up to unnecessary chaos and destruction and difficulty because of fearing something more than fearing you. Beloved, 2021 presents to us this opportunity once again to live a doxological Christian life where everything about who we are and what we do as individuals, as families, and a church is all about casting ourselves on God and glorifying him forever. I think we have something in our tradition that sums that up for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you. And even in our attempts to praise, Lord, we can't capture you. We, 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 we can't. All we can do, Lord, is repeat to you the words that you have given us and to say them over and over in such a way that we believe them more and more and more. And so, Lord, help our faith as we wrestle with the depth of our trust with you. Help us to break our trust of ourselves. Help us to break the trust of our own thinking and our own feelings and our own interpretations and our own power and our own strength and our own giftings and entrust ourselves to you who has come so near to us that you have taken on flesh and have taken our death on the cross. Lord, lead us in 2021 to be a people who will cast our anxieties on you and humble ourselves under your mighty hand and make ourselves so vulnerable to you that we learn your power 
in what feels like weakness. And Lord, as we do this, do something mighty within us as a church fellowship and through us as a ministry of the gospel. And lead us, Lord, to be a blessing to this community that is reeling, Lord, reeling under the sin of pride and self-sufficiency and self-strength, as well as is, is languishing under the pride of despair and anxiety and cowardice. Lord, help us to be able to talk to those of both sins, not to judge them, but to draw them to Christ. For them to see that they can let go of their pride because there is something greater, something stronger, something more powerful, something more real than themselves and their own interpretations and opinions. And so, Lord, strengthen us to cultivate you as the God of all glory and the God of all power in our lives so that we will change according to who you reveal yourself to be in your word and in the providences of our lives. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.